0: Hello,
1: and thank you for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partner to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Andy. And Martha. And this week, we're talking about the King of Comedy. Comedy is a 1982 film directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Paul Zimmerman, and starring Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis, Sandra Bernhard, and Diane Abbott. This movie is about an aspiring comedian named Rupert Pupkin, portrayed by Robert De Niro. He idolizes the host of the country's biggest talk show, Jerry Langford, played expertly by Jerry Lewis, and has illusions of grandeur, believing that he is destined for greatness and that the world owes him his big break. This film was made on a budget of $19 million and was possibly the biggest flop of the year, grossing only $2.5 million. So, Masha. Yeah? What were your thoughts about The King of Comedy before we watched it?
2: Well, to no one's surprise, I, of course, did not know about this film before <laughs> being introduced to it, per use. Yep. Yeah. Um, I knew because of you that it starred Martin... Uh, Robert De Niro and was directed by Martin Scorsese, mm-hmm. one of your faves. Yeah. Love him.
1: He's fantastic.
2: I, I didn't see Joker personally, but because of you, after you saw jo- Joker, you said it reminded you and seemed like a remake of this film. Yes. So I kind of had a sense that it was about a comedian, an aspiring comedian um, who's trying to break through, but like something's off with him. Okay. So, that's really all the vibe that I got, and the only, you know, cast members I knew that, or I only knew about Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese, I didn't know anything else, honestly.
1: Oh, cool, cool. So, you kind of had a tinge that there might be, like, a little bit of, like, darkness or a depressing nature to this movie because of its relation to Joker. Yes. Which, even if you haven't seen, you could just tell from the trailers, it's nothing but a gloom and doom type movie
2: right i i wouldn't say necessarily darkness because it was still called the king of comedy yeah yeah but i knew that he probably wasn't like (laughs) you know it's not like um a coming of age movie yeah 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 (laughs)
1: yeah, all right fair enough
2: so Um, those were my thoughts on it nice i was excited it wasn't a horror movie oh my god i'm dreading the day
1: (laughs) i mean the gift kind of was so we're getting there we already had that talk it's a thriller yeah (laughs) um so um I remember seeing this movie I can't really pinpoint the exact year but you know when I was a teenager in like basically going through high school was when I started really discovering like who my favorite filmmakers were and why I liked them and you know it's as most people of kind of my age-ish like you know pulp fiction ushered in a lot of that whereas at the time when I saw it I was like I'd never seen anything like this before and then you slowly unravel the pieces and realize like, oh, Tarantino was inspired by a slew of filmmakers and his movies like, you know, function as, you know, his interpretation of like the greatest hits of cinema that he's seen things like that. So then it made me start looking into the filmmakers and then I knew what Goodfellas was obviously at the time and I'd seen it, but I didn't ever, I wasn't thinking about filmmakers at the time, so... That was kind of like my introduction to Martin Scorsese where, you know, I'd, I'd start being on these movie forums. that was like a 14, 15 year old and mm-hmm. just kind of like reading away and just seeing who, who, who do people recommend. And, uh, you know, the word Scorsese got thrown around a lot. And then it was the era of DVD box sets. Like those mm-hmm. were getting those were pretty huge at the time. Because, you know, VHS is like, you might get like the Star Wars trilogy, but you weren't going to get like, you know, like a collection of Stanley Kubrick movies on a VHS box set. They just weren't making things like that. Yeah. So they were doing a lot of, I was working at Best Buy at the time, and they were doing a lot of like directors box sets. So I, I remember I bought two different Scorsese box sets just to get like 10 of this guy's movies. And then instantly just started falling in love with them. You know, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. Like I saw the big ones first. Right. Uh, casino. I think around that time was, like, when The Aviator was coming out. and Gangs of New York had just come out. So, like, I'd seen those. And then I just basically made it, like, a mission where I was like, I need to see every movie this guy has made. Like, wow. it's, they're, they're all so interesting. So then I started and, like, went all the way back to the beginning. You know, starting with, like, who's that knocking at my door and everything. And this was one that I remember was really hard to, A, find. And then, B, just hear anybody talk about
2: The movie was hard to find. The King
1: of Comedy, yeah. like, huh. Like, because, you know... Nothing was streaming at the time. And, like, you know, Best Buy is limited shelf space. So, like, mm. they're not going to have some, like, you know, they're not necessarily going to have an obscure, you know, 80s movie that completely bombed <laughs> in the box office, like, on the oh, thing. Oh,
2: interesting. It bombed yeah, in I 82.
1: Th- I read the... Uh...
2: Oh my god, I totally missed the bombed part. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, it was a $19 million budget and it made $2.5 million when it left theaters. Oh my God! Yeah, it was considered the biggest disaster of 1982, Wow! like film-wise. And then, realistically, I probably saw it a couple of years later when I had Netflix the DVD service, because that was a godsend for someone like me because it seemed like like, I used to try to challenge Netflix to see, like, what didn't they have? like, mm-hmm. And I pretty soon realized, like, if it was released on DVD, they got at least a copy floating around for you to rent. Wow. So that was when I started deep diving into all these directors who, like... Because most of my rentals were coming from Blockbuster, buying from Best Buy, and then going to the library. I used to go to the public library a lot because it was Aww. free free movies. Yeah. So then, yeah, that must have been the first time I saw it. And then I just remember, like it clicked with me immediately i think it's just because how much i love comedy mm-hmm. and like the whole just like i love any like any like deep dive into comedy even if it's not necessarily the point of the movie like i just love learning about that world right everything from the level of stand-up to the level of you know the tonight show like stuff like that and snl mm-hmm. and you know quote-unquote bigger acts so then yeah i watched it and it clicked immediately and then i just i even even at like a 60 to 16 17 years old i was just like i don't know how this isn't talked about like as much as his other movies like it's, right. it never really gets brought up you never really see it on the best of lists like you watch a documentary about his life and then it's like it's just a glance over you're like yeah then he made King of Comedy and then after that his next movie you know That is
2: so crazy.
1: Yeah. I know it was kind of considered his so I don't know the studio that that did it but I know they they basically got some financing and it was it was a very like hands-off studio production Mm -hmm. um scorsese just came off making raging bull which was a huge success like Mm -hmm. financially and critically like everybody loved that movie so um i think he kind of just had a little bit of freedom and like i don't think there was much and from the way the movie turned out it didn't seem like he made any compromises like knowing the way scorsese makes films like this seems exactly the kind of movie he was aiming to make in my opinion Mm -hmm. i haven't heard him say that but you know sometimes directors will be like yeah we had to fight them for the ending and this and that like this just seemed through and through the movie, like of his own.
2: That is so crazy that even to this day, people aren't really referencing it.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think it was the popularity of Joker that actually got, like, all of a sudden I started seeing articles being written of people being like, go check out this underrated uh... gem from Martin Scorsese. And I'll be honest, if. I don't really like the Joker that much. And we can talk about that a little later. That's not really the point of this podcast, (laughs) but I do have to give Todd Phillips credit that he did at every interview that I've seen when people brought it up, he fully was like, Oh yeah, I took giant amounts of inspiration from the King of comedy and from taxi driver, both Scorsese movies. Like he's like, -hmm. he's not trying to hide it. You know, it's not, it's not like he's trying to pass off ideas that that aren't his own or anything like that. So I'll give him that. Um, I have reasons to think I have reasons of why I think it doesn't work in that movie. As opposed to this one. But yeah, he always... So I think if he didn't constantly give it credit and the casting of Robert De Niro in The Joker Mm -hmm. just made it a lot easier for people to make the connection. So, you know, it's like in this film, Robert De Niro plays the up-and-coming comedian and Jerry Lewis plays the established comedian who he's trying to impress and, you know, basically, like, ingratiate himself to. And then in Joker, it's Joaquin Phoenix and then Robert De Niro plays the Jerry Lewis role. Like, he plays... So it's... And it's, an it's actual an easy Jerry Lewis
2: role and not, like, the future of this character.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Or, huh, who knows, maybe. <laughs> um, Deep cut. No, nah, no, nah, the way De Nero plays it in... Uh, I actually really like the Niro's performance in Joker. Um, huh. But the way he plays it, there's no way that's Rupert Pumpkin. <laughs> like, he plays it the way J- Jerry Lewis does in this. Cool. Um, so I could tell he had a lot of fun in that. But, uh, so yeah, I'm, I was, like, appreciative of the stuff with Joker where like they gave the movie credit where it was due but I will say I truly think that's uh, a much inferior version of this kind of story mm. and um, I think if you liked Joker and yeah everyone can like a movie I think there's a lot of good stuff in it uh, I think Joaquin Phoenix is perfectly cast I thought the score was really good I liked Robert De Niro but um, this movie like oozes like subtlety and nuance and making you think about things and the Joker movie is just the complete opposite, in my opinion. I'm not gonna have to turn this into a whole debate uh, episode, Ooh. but um,
2: without that inspiration from this movie, yeah. the King of Comedy, what would the Joker movie be?
1: I mean, that's the problem. Is the Joker's like an awesome character, like in mm-hmm. terms of like like villains and in, in comic book villains? Like, I feel like there's so much you could do, right? But I think Todd Phillips just got so into like. Making his own version because it's half this and half Taxi Driver because this movie doesn't really have any violence in it, and so I feel like all the explosion of violence that happens in Joker is more of a Taxi Driver homage. Mm-hmm. But I just think like I don't like you know they've written origin stories in the comics. So I just think it it, it would have worked better standing on its own. And also, both I think this movie is and Taxi Driver are both incredibly focused on the themes that it's trying to do. Like, this movie, like, King Comedy is about skewering fandom, celebrity culture, entertainment, the industry. Like, it never deviates from that. Mm-hmm. Like, like, Rupert has, clearly has mental issues, but the movie's not about treating mental instability. When I watch The Joker, it's like, this movie is trying to, like, simultaneously be about the entertainment business, be about you know the medical industry and how it's hurting people mm-hmm. it's about it's trying to be about class warfare and like all this other stuff and i just i just found it too muddled there were t- yeah yeah so i i just found this movie to be incredibly v- believable and uh if again if you like the joker and there's plenty of to like about it 100% watch this movie yeah. like don't even don't even think about like maybe like the, it's yeah it's amazing
2: cool I'm probably never going to watch The Joker, but I'm glad I watched this movie. Yeah,
1: you're, you're okay. You really should loosen up, dealer.
2: Have a laugh now and then.
1: So, yes, yeah, so I think it's, like, finally starting to get a little recognition here and there. Mm-hmm. But it's still, like, you know, you ask most people their favorite Scorseses, they're going to run down the lines of Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Casino, Raging Wolf of Bull. Wall Street, Raging Bull. And, uh, you know, this one usually gets left behind. A lot of his 80s movies, I feel like, are a little underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, he came out strong with Raging Bull, but then, you know, we have this. We got The Color of Money with Tom Cruise, um, which is a sequel to The Hustler, which I do like, but it's not one of his, like, best movies, but it's a solid movie. And yeah, uh, Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like 80 was Raging Bull and 90 was Goodfellas. And, like, those were two such strong hits that people kind of forget what came in the middle there oh, man. but I mean I just he's an incredibly varied filmmaker and yes he obviously I'm not gonna say once because he doesn't get credit like he gets tons of credit for being great mm-hmm. but I feel like most people don't talk about how many different types of movies he's made hmm. in my opinion I feel like he gets a little sub um what's the word type not typecast because he's not an actor but like Typecast as like the guy who makes the gangster movies. Right. Like you hear Scorsese he's movies. Stuck in a genre. Yeah, like you hear he's making a movie, you expect it to be violent, you expect it to be like R rated, insane, and then like you know like dude made Hugo, it was in a fantastic kids movie. Dude made Cape Fear, it's a scary ass horror movie. Like mm-hmm. Dude made New York, New York, it's a great musical with Robert De Niro and Liza Minnelli. Like, you know, he's done so many different types of movies and so Whenever someone tells me that they don't really know his work, I try. I try to tend to go for something like The King of Comedy to show them, as opposed to just being like watch some Goodfellas, you know. Right. And I love Goodfellas. I love almost all the movies he's made. So I'm not. It's just you know. So can I just say, when I told Marshall we're gonna watch The King of Comedy, her reaction was, "Oh, isn't that oh. directed by the guy, uh, the guy who hates Marvel movies?" Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's what you're going to boil down, I, Martin Scorsese." I
2: couldn't remember his name <laughs> in the moment. This happens.
1: I know, but of all, <laughs> all things accomplished in his career and life, and he's known as the guy who went on Twitter and said he didn't like Marvel it, movies. It was
2: the first thing that came to my brain. I... And I'm you know sorry, what? Martin. I like Mar- Marty.
1: I like Marvel movies, but if anyone has earned the right to critique movies and the way cinema's Earn- going, it's this guy. Oh
2: my god. <laughs> Earn the right to critique. Like the like I'm
1: just saying like
2: that's like, a whole other
1: thing. You shouldn't throw his opinion out the window just because.
2: I didn't throw it out the window. I just said he's the guy oh, who said I, it.
1: Yeah, I wasn't throwing that at you. I was more just yelling oh, okay, at Twitter okay. right now. That was <laughs> that was to you, Twitter. If you're checking. Oh man, uh, <laughs> we got a Twitter. Be careful. <laughs> Dude's got so many skills, and uh, you know I want it to be remembered. He's your favorite. I think he might be. It's hard to say favorite, like, because every once in a while, know, you know, yeah, like, I'll, I'll watch a new movie with someone. Even when it comes to his movies, like. I tend to think my favorite is whatever one I watched most recently. <laughs> this ended last night and I was like, is this my favorite Martin Scorsese movie of all time? But then I said that when, when I showed you Taxi Driver. Yeah. So like, it's, it's really hard. I know you haven't seen a lot of Martin Scorsese movies, but it's pretty well known that, like, De Niro's his guy when it comes to putting in movies. Yes. So this was their fifth time working together.
2: Oh, and he was still baby Niro.
1: Yeah, I feel like this was, like, the beginning of him turning into what Robert De Niro looks like now. Like, Mm. his face was, like, rounder. You know what I mean? Like when you watch Regen Bull Buller Taxi Driver or New York, New York, like he's he's way sl- more slender. You know yeah. what I mean? Not that I he's ever that. not that he's a fat man or anything like that, but like he's just like the beginning of like the round the neuro face started with this movie. I feel like, <laughs> but yeah, it's their fifth time working together, and like Scorsese was actually in like. And he said this all in interviews and stuff, so I'm not speculating. But, like, he was in a really bad place, like, during the making of this movie. Hmm. Pretty much during that whole period of his life, he had a pretty big, uh, like, cocaine addiction in the 70s while he was making his movies.
2: Scorsese Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, What? And then that just led to, like, subsequent depression and all this. And so he's even said, like... When it came, he was, like, hospitalized at one point from doing too many drugs and this and that. It was right before they made Raging Bull. Uh Uh-huh. And it was De Niro who was the one who, like, sat down with him and was like, hey, like, you need to tell me straight right now. Like, do you want to live or do you want to die? And he's like – and then he's like, and if you want to live, let's go make another picture. Like, you know, like, let's go do what we do best. Like, basically saying, like, let's – Like, let's go do... Like, there's no point sitting here being depressed, doing drugs. Like, you know, like, what makes you happy? And then so them making Raging Bull actually kind of, like, rejuvenized... Like, he's literally said that movie saved my life. And Robert De Niro saved my life, like, making that movie.
2: That's a movie right there. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know how that's not a movie. So, yeah, like I said, they made Raging Bull right before this. And when they started making this movie, he was still in, like, a bad place. Not necessarily from the drugs, but he had just made, like, three movies back-to-back pretty much without ever stopping, like, from Taxi Driver to New York, New York, mm-hmm. to Raging Bull. Plus, he made, I think, he made at least one, he made The Last Waltz, which is a music documentary, in the middle of that as well. So he was just never stopping work. and literally, like, as he was making this movie, and, like, right when they wrapped, he basically went right back into the hospital for, like, due to exhaustion, and he caught pneumonia, like, because his body was just so weak from, like, working all the time, never resting, Oof. and this and that. So yeah, it was just, it was a difficult movie to make, and then some of the funny stuff that he said was, he he never he didn't even want to make this movie in the beginning. Like De Niro brought him the script in like nineteen seventy four, and he just didn't get it. He's he's like he's like I'll admit right away, I just didn't understand the movie. Like uh-huh. I, just, I don't I didn't get like the themes behind it or like why I would want to make it. And but De Niro was a like consistent, uh-huh. and they have a funny working relationship where they kind of like do movies for each other in a way where like Scorsese loved old timey musicals, so he's right. like Robert or I'm going to say, I'm going to keep saying, I'm going to go with Bobby and Marty. I know I'm not friends with these dudes or <laughs> oh. anything, but just Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro are like the longest names of all time. Yeah. So Marty and Bobby, just moving Bobby. forward. When they air interviews, that's how they call each other.
2: Bobby. So,
1: you know, he, mm-hmm. he did New York, New York for Marty because he wanted to do an old timey musical. So he was like, this was him doing one for Bobby, like for De Niro. He wanted.
2: That's cute. Friendship to the max. <laughs> I love a story about friendship.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, he convinced Marty to do this one, even though. Marty's, like, passion project was to make The Last Temptation of Christ, which was, like, his big epic Bible movie that he ended up making a couple of years after this. Mm-hmm. And so his whole plan was that was his next movie he wanted to make. He wanted De Niro to play Jesus. De Niro convinced him to do this movie instead. Mm. And then he said he's literally claimed this was one of the hardest movies he's ever had to shoot because of the, A, because of the exhaustion and all that, but, like, B, the content of this movie, like, really got to him, like, mm. in terms of, like, just how dark and sad this character was and how good De Niro was portraying him and like like he said it was hard to watch the dailies like you know just to see like like the level of like not patheticness but like just the way De Niro like it's so sad like like his character just portrays sadness throughout this entire movie so and then the irony is after making so many movies in a row they didn't work again together until Goodfellas which was about eight years later so he made Last Temptation of Christ he didn't even like De Niro's not even in that movie Willem Dafoe plays Jesus uh-huh. and uh like so yeah like
2: so Nero was so good that he couldn't like yeah he was just
1: like <laughs> he was like we need a break from each other like we just made five movies together this last one you scared the shit out of me like <laughs> like like yeah, and, that's so interesting. and it's so funny because they've made such a violent mo- like you've seen Taxi Driver you know the amount of violence that yeah that breaks out in that movie Mean Streets is incredibly violent Raging Bull, like, he plays such a, like, nasty motherfucker. Like, he's beating his wife. Like, he's just, like, drug addict. Like, a true monster and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And, like, that was fine. But he saw this movie was, like, so real. Right. That it, like, he couldn't get it. Like, he could separate himself from the... Because he does not live in that kind of world.
2: Exactly. But he
1: lives in the world of entertainment. So, I think he's I, seen this
2: guy. I was... Exactly. I was just going to say this is kind of rooted in a person that would exist in real life. Like, yeah. Rupert is this aspiring comedian who is really trying to make it, right? And you you know that kind of person if you're in Hollywood. Exactly. Especially the ones who try a little too hard.
1: Yeah, and especially at this point in Hollywood where they're both incredibly famous. Like, right. they're not the young guys they were 10 years earlier making yeah. movies where no one knew their names. Right. And, like, you know, Scorsese grew up as... He, like, he was going to be a priest his whole life until, like, in his 20s, he decided he wanted to try filmmaking. Mm-hmm. So, like, he doesn't have, like, a gangster, like, background. Like, he he wasn't hanging around with gangsters. Like, like, he just knows how to tell a good story. And then he had a couple hits, you know, talking about, like, rough New York street movies. And, like, that became his thing. But, like, so, like, I think he's very easy. To, he can separate himself from that kind of violence and that stuff because he's probably never really witnessed those kind of things in life. So, yeah, I just found it really funny that this was the one that was, like like insane yeah and even de niro like he like in raging bull like he had to get into a, a professional boxer's shape and learn how to box professionally like went through this giant physical formation and then at the end of the movie he has to play the same character older and later in his life so then he gains 60 pounds of fat so in the same movie he's like the cuttest slimmest most athletic he's ever been and then the fattest he's ever been <laughs> And then, and that's still, and he still talks about how hard it was to play Rupert Pumpkin. (laughs) He doesn't talk about how hard that was. Like
2: side note, I'm always curious about those movies, like the order that they shoot things. And I hope if I were to ever star in a movie like that, I'd want to do all like the fat scenes first, (laughs) so that way, like when we cut and we we end, like (laughs) I just want to be in the best shape, even set.
1: No, I totally, as an actor, yeah. But I could see production going the other way, where they're like, listen. The odds of him getting fat are going to be easier than the odds of him. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's easier to go from totally. ripped to fat than fat to ripped. Yeah. So, like, like, let's get him ripped. <laughs> He's excited about the role right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, I'm already uh, I'm already jumping around way too much because I said, let's talk about the plot. And then all I talked about was the background. To the <laughs> <movie>. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. anyway. But, yeah, that was basically, you know, so no real great story of me seeing it for the first time. I just remember, like, Like, I loved it right away, and I was just like, more people need to see this movie. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, that was yeah. Do
2: you remember if you were watching it by yourself? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh,
1: those were the days of hanging out in the basement. Like, yeah. (laughs) I wasn't the coolest teenager. You (laughs) know what I mean? No, I know, but I'm just saying, (laughs) like,
2: I'm just imagining if I watched it by myself, like, I would just immediately have to be like, what the hell did I just watch? Like, it was... It, it had so many twists and turns for me, like, not knowing anything going into it. Yeah, that, like, where, uh,
1: where, which way the plot's going to lead and it, Yeah, like that. so
2: I can't imagine watching it as a teenager and just... Yeah. That's cool.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I couldn't relate to... Like, I couldn't, like, call my buddies. Like, right. You know, like, my other friends at 16, they were yeah. off, you know beer fest just came out like if you weren't talking about that you weren't you know nobody gave a shit
0: so it's ten dollars for a bj twelve dollars for an hj fifteen dollars for a zj what's a zj if you have to ask big man you can't afford it
1: there's tons of plot i want to get into in this movie and themes and stuff so i'd say we just jump into it obviously we're gonna stay spoiler free for this first section yeah so the movie takes a bit of a turn you know at the in the third act in terms of the way the plot goes so we're gonna steer clear of that until we get to our spoiler section so Feel free to just if you haven't seen the movie, just keep on listening. So the Jerry Langford character, who plays essentially Johnny Carson uh, in this movie, is played by Jerry Lewis. And so the movie opens up with him coming out of his stu- out of the studio after a taping and just seeing the mobs and mobs of fans all around him. Mm-hmm. And then he
2: those are crazy mobs.
1: Yeah, it was insane.
2: I wow.
1: Uh, so yeah, you just got people—you got people clawing under his shirt. You got you got people jumping all over him. He jumps in the in the limousine, and then we just see. Who We'll learn who she is eventually, but we just see a crazy woman jump in the cab with him and just immediately just start screaming his name, Jerry, Jerry, clawing at him, just trying to grab him in any way possible. They actually originally were trying to cast Johnny Carson to be in this role. Really? Yeah, because, like, I don't know how, I know you are because you work at 30 Rock, but, like, your level of familiarity with, like, how big Johnny Carson was at the time. So, like, to get, like, the timeline, like, the Tonight Show started in the 50s, but it had a couple of different hosts when Johnny Carson started in 62 and did it until 92 mm-hmm. so that's 30 straight years of doing that show and so this movie's 82 so like it helps me put it in perspective of like he's been doing this for 20 years straight yeah. he's the only one doing it it was before the other networks started you know making their own late night talk shows so like it's probably is you know far fetched for the sake of the movie but like you know, a little bit but I think it's more realistic so. I think it's more realistic than, than, it, than yeah, it's not
2: absolutely. yeah absolutely yeah. <laughs> I can just see that like under the 30 Rock marquee, people wait for, at least in my experience working with SNL, like people hang out overnight. Yeah. just to get a glimpse of some it's of the re- stars. Yeah, it's so remarkable. Yeah. I totally believe that. I thought that his limo driver should have been fired. Yeah, like, yeah, you didn't yeah. see that woman in his <laughs> in the backseat. Yeah,
1: no. yeah, that limo driver was terrible.
2: Unless she gave him a huge tip or something.
1: <laughs> After the woman's in the car reaching for him, he he gets pulled out of the car for his safety, and then she just reaches for the windows, and her two like crazy hands just yeah. land on the window, and that's the freeze frame you're talking about. Yes. And it keeps there, and I love, I literally wrote in my notes, I was like, you don't have to beat the Marvel thing to a dead horse, but I was like, I literally can remember this opening freeze frame better than I could remember the entirety of Iron Man 2. You know what I mean? Like, Interesting. Like it's, like there's a reason this guy's one of the best that ever did it, because I think it sums up the whole theme of the movie being about like celebrity culture, fan culture, mm. the worst versions of both of that, and like, like basically celebrity worship. Yeah. Which I like to be talking about that. I mean, this movie came out in 1982, but the script was written in 1972. So, like, hmm. like it was way ahead of its time in 82, let alone in 72. Right. And, you know, we'll go on as, as we get more into the plot, but it, I think this thing predicted so much about the way people act and what the internet would eventually enable these kind of people, the things they'll they would enable them to do. Yeah. You know?
2: It's so interesting because I've never been obsessed or, like, that much of a fan of a celebrity to kind of just like hang out and wait for them. Oh, so yeah. like that, that whole culture is always interesting to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, you would really do that. And also what kind of reaction are you expecting when you do this or this action? Exactly. You know? Like
1: that's kind of a, that's kind of the main, like in my opinion, one of the most interesting things about it is like, yeah, what do you expect is going to happen? Even if you get that moment, like, right? Cause yeah, I've, I've, I've never done anything crazy like that either. Like, I did things like I remember when I was eight years old, like I waited online when The Rock wrote his like autobiography, and like mm-hmm. I waited online to get an autograph, but it was a book signing. Like it was like at a bookstore and he was like at a table and you waited online. Like, you know, I didn't like yeah. hear that The Rock was in a building and I like stood in the bushes mm-hmm. and jumped out and I was like, ah, I love you. The Rock says this. Right now, as The Rock speaks, there are literally millions. Of rocks fans, and if you all just know your role, shut your mouth. You, you, and especially you. In four seconds, they will all chant the rock's name. So yeah, I've never done anything crazy like this either before.
2: Uh, yeah, but yeah, that uh, that shot in particular, I, it, it caught me. It caught my attention, so I was interested to see what the rest of the film was going to be about. Yeah. And, you know, was it gonna revolve around Masha, whose those were her hands. Her name was Masha, so yeah, that but, also caught my attention. Yeah,
1: Masha got pretty excited about that. <laughs> she, you don't you don't often get
2: I've never seen a character in a movie whose name wasn't Marsha. So yeah, I was so excited. We actually
1: thought it was Marsha for the entire movie because <laughs> we're so used to just sounding like thinking you hear the word masha but it's got the r in it yeah and then the credits rolled Then we paused and we're like get
2: the fuck out of here yeah. Her name and i love masha. that it was played by um abbott what diane no,
1: no sandra 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 bernhardt
2: oh god way so wrong well to be <laughs>
1: fair diane abbott is the other lead female role in the movie okay. so you didn't just pull that out of your All head okay. <laughs> sandra bernhardt um, um. In her second movie role, but really her first, like, major role. Like, she had a tiny little appearance before this in a different movie. Oh, uh, great. Um, so, yeah, this was really, like, her... Like, she credits this movie to, like, the reason why she has a career. Like, oh, you know, like... I
2: love... Absolutely loved her in Pose, so... Oh, nice. Yeah, really she, cool. She's
1: great in a lot of things. And then, yeah, so, yeah, that freeze frame was fantastic. And then... I also just love that because you slowly... The character of Masha, like, you see her... Like, first you see her in that opening scene, and you just think, like, oh, that just might be a crazy fan. Like, we move on. Mm. Then, you know, a little later, Jerry's in his apartment, and he gets a phone call, and it's her. And he's like, how did you get this number? Yeah. And she was just like, well, I have to reach you. I don't know. And then, so then, like, and you can recognize her voice, because she has a very distinct yes. voice. And you're like, was that the same woman from the car? And then the revelation that her and Rupert are, like, friends, because they're both in this insane world of celebrity hunting. Yes. And I, that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is is after is when they are on the street arguing cuz she wants Rupert Rupert tells her that he's now friends with Jerry because he met Right. Yeah, like that that night after after Masha jumps in his uh, limo, Rupert kind of <laughs> instead of acting like a fan, he acts like security yeah. to like kind of get like a moment of of like a second of trust Right. and then he just jumps in the limo with Jerry and then immediately Goes into a shtick about I'm a comedian. Yeah. You know, I need, a, I need to please yeah, give me a chance. I
2: got cut to protect you. Can you hear me out for five minutes? Yeah,
1: yeah. Like, he took a knife. Was it, was it a knife or did someone bite him? I couldn't tell. I don't
2: know. I He's think he bleeding. got bit. Yeah, I think he got
1: bit. I don't think I don't think he took a knife. Because it didn't seem like those fans were trying to kill Jerry. It seemed yeah. like they were just trying to get to him. Yeah. And if you got in their way, you get well. your fingers bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I was completely caught by surprise. Well, one, if Robert De Niro wasn't in this movie, I would have thought masha masha's character would be the star that's gonna be confusing to say Ma- call her masha yeah. i feel like we should call her by a real name sandra or, all right sandy, sandra sandy um but <laughs> yes ag- an, again about this like fan culture you know these i, I guess groupies is what you would call them sure right? of course they would know each other right like if you think about it they're always
1: but yeah they're like a special kind of like cr- they're like obsessed
2: yeah but i didn't like connect that at all i was like oh like he just happens to want to see jerry this one time like i had no idea that they knew each other yeah
1: yeah yeah you're not you're you're really not supposed to until Uh, until the end
2: another layer to this is you know throughout the entire movie you're seeing life as it is like as the movie is going but you're also seeing robert de niro's character his version of reality or basically his romanticizing Him romanticizing relationships with other people, with Jerry being famous. Yeah, he
1: lives in an absolute fantasy world.
2: Right, so you're flip-flopping between those things, and at times it's really hard to tell the differences between reality and his fantasy yes exactly so when you know him and Marsha are talking like I I guess I was just caught up in the confusion and that's why it took a little bit for me to understand that
1: yeah I love it because we go into full-blown fantasy sequences where we just see like his perfect version of the way things would play out Mm -hmm. and it's completely shot like a fantasy but what I also love is that like the, we see him process information differently than the other people. Like, we'll see someone flat out tell him, get out of here, you suck. And then if someone else goes like, that guy told you we sucked. He's like, no, he didn't tell me he sucked. That's not what just happened. Right. Like, so like he immediately just like his brain works in a way where it's just like, He's yes. He's only hearing what he wants to hear. And what I loved about it, because the first time I saw it, because he says he's a comedian when he meets Jerry and this and that, but you slowly find out he's really not a comedian. Like mm-hmm. he wrote his act, but he never performs it. Mm-hmm. He never goes on stage anywhere. Yeah. He he never does anything you're supposed to do as a comedian to try to actually like actually make it big as a comedian. Yep. And so I like I thought it was interesting where before you know any of that, you know, you just hear him talk to Jerry. I'm a comedian. This is my act. I'm very good. And then. The first time when you find out him and uh, Masha Sandra Bernhardt are friends, mm-hmm. and they're arguing on the street over like who did who favors. Like, what about the time I lent, I lent you money and this and that? And then he says like, what about that time I gave you my spot? And me as a comedy fan, my brain went to like, oh, his spot like at a comedy club. Like uh, he was supposed to perform, and then uh-huh. he gave it to her because they're both aspiring comedians. And then literally what he's talking about was his spot, as in standing in front of. It's not called 30 Rock, but it's basically, yeah. it's, it's 30 Rockefeller Plaza. Uh-huh. Like his Plaza. spot on the street that's right outside the door, which will give you the best view of Jerry when he comes out. Yeah, And he's like, and he's talking about how he waited there for eight, nine hours and then gave it to her. And I was just like, oh, so these people are crazy. Like, <laughs> like he doesn't actually want to be a comedian. He wants to be famous like Jerry.
0: Just do this for me, Rupert. What right about the time I've done things for you?
1: What have you done for me? You haven't done anything for me. What are you talking about? How about how
0: in general? I think you got your mind screwed up because you didn't get me anything. I bought my own You never bought anything. I bought my own You never bought anything. what about things that I did for you that no money can buy, no money can buy? What about the time I gave you my spot? You came over there, I gave you my spot. You stood there and I let you
2: get right next to Jerry. I waited for eight hours for him and you went right next to him. Because you were crying to me because you wanted to get next to Jerry and you got next to him. And what about the time I gave you my last album of the best of Jerry? What about that? It wasn't anybody else, it was me and I didn't even ask you for money and I can't even pay my rent.
1: He doesn't love comedy. He loves fame. Yes. And I think that's really interesting to, like, just comment on that because especially nowadays, like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: every like so many people love fame. Everybody – people get on TikTok and YouTube and, like – like, not saying everybody, but there's a lot of people who are just like, oh, I just want to be famous. Like, I'll yeah. lick a toilet seat on camera to be famous. Like, it's right. not –
2: uh, the whole time he was in the limo with Jerry, I was just like, instead of talking about being a comedian, why don't you just, like, be a comedian? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, I
1: mean, either way, like, it was already a pretty egregious thing for him to be doing. So, like, I don't think he had any leg to stand oh, on. Oh, my
2: God. If he said Jerry one more time, uh, I was going to have a heart attack. You're talking about when, when Jerry's
1: trying to walk away? Yeah.
2: <sighs> yes. <laughs> hey, Jerry, Jerry. All right, all right. <laughs> Hey, Jerry. I was yeah. like,
1: no. And then he would just go and run and tell him a joke. And then he'd be like, Jerry, dinner's on me. You know, like, just, oh. <laughs> he could never uh, let it go. There was
2: a point where he was like, Jerry, I'm short on money right now. And I was like, don't you dare ask him for money. <laughs> 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 but then he was actually like, you know, one, I owe you a dinner. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um,
1: and yeah, a lot of this, uh, so a lot of this movie was improvised. And so I even heard an interview later with Jerry Lewis where he was like, he couldn't believe that De Niro kept doing that. Like, like you know, like the script just said, like, he passes them till he goes in, like, maybe he had a couple lines written. But, like, it was his idea to just keep, like, every, every time he takes two more steps, oh. he'd be like, all right, I'll see you later. Hey, Jerry. And, like, you just, like, dude, just let it go. Like, you got your conversation. <laughs> Get the fuck out of there. Go work on your act and call his agent. Uh... Um, but one thing I realized this time that I never really paid attention to when he's in the limo with Jerry, Jerry finally concedes and says like, okay, I'll listen to your stuff. If you want me to listen to it, here's what you do. You call up my office, you ask for, and he gave him a name of his assistant and, and this and that. And like, so like that, yes, he was most likely telling him that just to get him the fuck out of there, but like, it was an opening. Like Mm -hmm. if he followed those instructions, they might've gotten the tape, listened to it, thought he was funny, maybe potentially called him but then when he does actually finally call his office he doesn't even remember that there was an assistant mm-hmm. he calls right away and says i need to speak with jerry jerry told me i'm going to be on the show uh. and so like you know like he's like self sabotaging his own his own self right because he is he doesn't understand like how this actually all works like he just thinks like he's owed something Basically because he's had a shit life up until now.
2: And I don't know if this is true or not, but I feel like, you know, we see many instances of him fantasizing about his relationship with Jerry and how close they are and as friends. And I started to wonder how much of that he started to believe. And, you know, when you repeat things over and over in your head, like maybe at some point he started to actually believe oh, I, that he had a relationship with Jerry and that's why he called the office just asking for For him.
1: sure. I think you're 100% right with that because we're jumping ahead a little bit, but eventually he takes the girl he's trying to impress and start dating to mm-hmm. Jerry's house for the weekend. And in one of his earlier fantasies... Jerry's tail invites him up to in the in the fantasy he says, Hey, why don't you come to the house this weekend? We're gonna have guests. Right. Um, you know, but you know, you and me and you can break off and we'll work on your act and we'll really get this nice and tight. And then when he shows up to Jerry's house and Jerry's there, he literally earnestly asks Jerry, Where's everybody else? Yes. Like when he said that, like that scared the shit out of me. <laughs> because that's when I knew that he didn't know. Because, like, it's one thing to just play dumb and try to manipulate people and be, like, act like you didn't hear something or, or you know, like, try to play it off. But, like, I was like, fuck, does he think he was invited? Yeah. Like, it's one thing to, like, pretend you were Like, I was like, man, he might really think that that happened.
2: Absolutely. So I, I love that. And that was the one scene where it took me, like, halfway through to realize that this was actually happening. Like, yeah, this yeah. wasn't... A- you know, Rupert's fantasy. Oh, that's
1: the beauty of the movie is like every oh. time a new scene starts. Cause like if things go good for him for even a second, you're like, is he fantasizing yeah. this? Yeah. Cause, and a lot of his fantasies take place, you know, he's 34 years old. He lives with his mother in, in his basement. He, well, I don't know if he lives in the basement, but that's where he, like, hangs <laughs> it. That's the only scene, that's the only part of the house we ever see. Yeah. So he's always in the basement. He's got all these cardboard cutouts of Jerry, of fake audiences, of Liza Minnelli. And he just lives down there in this crazy fantasy world where he records his own versions of Jerry Langford's show where he's a guest. And, and mm-hmm. like, sits there and has all these fake conversations back and forth. And in and, and one of the funniest parts in, in all the movie is is whenever his mother is yelling down, <laughs> down, telling him to be quiet or, you know, she's like, are Absolutely. you crazy? What are you doing? You're making so much noise. <laughs> and like, that's a joke we've seen so, in so many comedies. And I'm like wondering, I was like, was this the first time? Like, I don't know for sure. Obviously, like, there's been comedy movies for a very long time. But like, I was like, is this the first time of like, You know, because you think of like Will Ferrell in uh, Wedding Crashers when he's yelling at his mom all the time. And he's like, Mom, get us pizza rolls and all this shit. And I was just like, man, this is like, is this the origin of that joke?
0: Rupert Pupkin, the new king of comedy. Rupert, are you crazy? What's what's the matter with you? Ah, People are sleeping. Lower it. What's the matter with you? Mom! Take it easy. Lower it. I I'm not going to lower it. I have to do this now.
2: I don't mind you playing it, but lower it. I love that you never saw the mom. Yeah,
1: you never see the mom. Um, you just hear her voice. Yeah, and it's Martin Scorsese's mom doing the voice, which, <laughs> which makes it even funnier. Oh. Um, and he was like, he said in one of the interviews, he was like, yeah, she was, it's not weird for her to do this kind of stuff. Because like, like, you know, when we were coming up, like, all these guys were my friends. So she doesn't look at them as movie stars. She just thinks, "Oh, they're my son's friends." Like, like Aww. Robert De Niro's her son's friend. Like Harvey Keitel's her son's friend. And like she would yell at us when we were fucking around in the like around the house. And no, because they didn't know each other when they were little kids. But right. Still, like, but, he would yeah. bring them over for dinner and stuff.
2: And also, you're always a kid to your mom. Yeah, yeah. So
1: like, she had no problem just being like, "Bobby, what are you doing down there?" Like, you know, like like uh. in her mind, she was yelling at Robert De Niro. Like she was because she's not an actor. So That's like, amazing. Um So yeah, I love I love that. Do you want to talk about the character of Rita? uh that's Marsh. uh rita that's that's Marsh. oh sorry <laughs> um this is
2: rita is the <laughs> rita is the woman the rupert you don't get too
1: much backstory about them but you can she says something like i haven't seen you in 15 years so mm-hmm. it, i always thought they went to high school together yeah because if he's 34 then that might have made sense yeah um and you kind of get the, the idea that he's always like had a crush on her and like, to me, it just seemed like, you know, he he's, even though he's got all these illusions of grandeur, he doesn't have any, like, true confidence. Mm-hmm. And then, so I think it was, uh, it was like the whole quote unquote meeting Jerry by accosting him in, the, in his limousine, uh-huh. like, kind of gave him the confidence to go to Rita and be like, now I know I'm going to be a star because right. Jerry Langford told me he's going to listen to my tape.
2: Rita seemed like a very nice person, <laughs> but, you know, I'm just, I was just looking at, at it from my perspective, and I'd just be like, no <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? oh yeah no
1: it's, it's crazy but to be fair i think she she does play it the way most people would where yeah. it's like like she she calls him out in the beginning of just being like i don't think this is gonna work you know then she goes out to dinner with the guy like because i'm sure she doesn't like hate him or have any animosity right. so like maybe she's like oh, i'll give it a shot oh. and then like so she goes out to dinner with them and then the next time we see her is when they go to jerry's weekend house yeah and so that like you know maybe she she actually started believing that what he said was actually true. Like mm-hmm. he had his like crazy little autograph book. Cause he was like an autograph hunter mm-hmm. and he collected all these different autographs.
2: That was a nice thing to see. Like, remember autograph books before you know everyone had a camera in their hand? Yeah,
1: I mean I don't even remember autograph books to be honest. I remember like getting a picture autographed <laughs> to like sign my thing like that. That's what I kind of mm-hmm. the era I grew up in. Like you would be at a baseball game, but, like sign my baseball. You know, right? Like, sign never, my, I've sign never, your headshot, yeah, please. I've never in my life seen or known anyone who had an autograph book like, uh... like you know just like a collect- like a book they carried around in case they saw someone famous and then yeah they added to it like that. Yeah, I think that's an old school.
2: I think so too, but for some reason I was very aware of autograph books like it didn't throw yeah. me off you obviously don't know who you're dealing with mr Raisinhead.
1: really yeah we're the power rangers Woo! where's my autograph book ah. one uh one real quick aside is you know robert de niro he was like known for like his method acting in those days like when he got a role he would dive into it as much as he like godfather 2 he moved to italy until he learned how to speak italian because mm-hmm. all he could do was speak italian in that movie taxi driver he got his taxi driving license and drove around new york for a month as a taxi driver cool raging bull he actually won some low-level boxing competitions like he learned how to become a boxer so like he's just been known for a method actor and i like his style of method acting because it's not these annoying stories you hear about today where like people think method acting involves like driving everybody around you crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know you read about like what was it Jared Leto in Suicide Squad where he like wanted to be the Joker so he was like sending like used condoms to like Margot Robbie in her dressing room wait what and then like he would like drop off like a dead rat in, in a box in front of Will Smith's dressing room and like because he wanted them to like hate the Joker but even though I'd argue those are un-Joker things
2: those yeah yeah
1: like you know he would send like a box of bullets to a different character it just
2: sounds like you're ruining your career there yeah
1: it just sounds like you're just being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, and then there's that whole documentary about. Remember the Man on the Moon, the movie we watched. Yes. Like Jim Carrey was a goddamn nightmare. Like, I want
2: to watch that documentary. Yeah. I
1: I love Men on the Moon. I actually think it's a really good performance. But now that I've seen what it was like behind the scenes, I'm like, I don't even know if that was worth it. Mm-hmm. Jim Carrey just seems unbearable. <laughs> um, I'd love
2: to see a video on method actors, like or. I guess, method acting teachers kind of critique method actors' yeah. techniques. So I feel like... <laughs>
1: and obviously, this is not across the board. There's people like Daniel Day-Lewis who respect it and shit. But mm-hmm. like I, to me, it seems like there's a portion of method acting that is turned into an attention-seeking thing, as opposed mm-hmm. to, like, I love acting, and this is the best way to get the performance. Right. And I feel like that was De Niro's style of, like, no, I just have to get the performance. So for this movie, he not only, like, you know, went to stand-up clubs, watched stand-up, he developed an act as Rupert Pumpkin himself and, like, did it on stage. Like, oh,
2: he developed that act?
1: I don't know about the one we see in the movie, but he developed an act mm. to like while he was doing the movie. But one of the crazy things I read that he did was um, he actually would stop because he had his own autograph hunters and people who would chase him around because he was so famous huh. so he would literally stop and like have conversations with those people to try to get into their mind huh. and there was even one instance where like he met someone who I guess he didn't think was like that crazy so he like decided to have dinner with him so he could like really have a conversation oh boy and he like no nothing bad happened but oh, okay. like he literally like <laughs> because he didn't understand and he was like why do you stalk me like what do you want and the guy was like i, I, I want to have dinner with you i want to talk to you and tell you about my mother and like he's like realized like <laughs> they're not all like mo- it's not always like a malicious thing or like it's just like people seeking and my, like i took that as like these are just like sad people looking for any kind of attention or validation or mm. like you know like they have some relationships too yeah like, like, like something like- wrong in their life so like they just think like you know, because it's easy to watch a celebrity and think you know them because you watch, mm-hmm. you know, like we watch Brooklyn Nine Nine all the time, and like, you know, like, oh, those are my friends, like <laughs> they're actors playing characters, like you know what I mean? So wow, way to out me! <laughs> never telling you anything again. <laughs> So, yeah, I just thought that was crazy that he, like, that was one of his, like, method acting for this movie. Like, right. he, he he actually, like, met his stalkers who, like, followed him around on the street. Yeah. And I was like, that's pretty cool.
2: Do we know if Sandra did method acting as well? Or no. is she just naturally?
1: She's naturally crazy. So, I said...
2: Uh, not not Her character is naturally crazy. Yeah, yeah. But I'm that's saying, not-
1: like... Scorsese like literally he said he like cast her because he saw her in something where she maybe it was like a stage play mm-hmm. where she was like being all erratic and like he was like, Oh, that'll be perfect. She improvised most of her scenes. Wow. I can't we can't get into it until the spoiler section, but like there are full scenes where they just like let her go and just let her do whatever she wanted. And then she was just like riffing dialogue and just going nuts in the movie.
2: I I gotta say, like I I, I wanna learn more about the writer, um, the writer of this movie because it's just so
1: Yeah, good. I looked I looked him up and um He's pretty short career. Like, this, was, I think it was his second movie, and I think he maybe wrote four or five movies total, mm-hmm. which is, you know, no small feat. But I'm saying, like, compared to, you know, the, the works of other people in this movie, right. like, do you know anything about Jerry Lewis? Like, do you know who he is?
2: No, but his name sounds so familiar. Yeah,
1: he's probably one of the more famous comedic actors of the 50s and 60s. A thousand roles. I haven't seen most of them just because. Uh, I don't know. Just wasn't around <laughs> back then and like so- sometimes those old comedies can be a little too like slapsticky but uh he's most famous for uh he was the nutty professor he directed and starred in mm. that movie uh, in in the 60s so like that was kind of wow. So like kind of he played he would always played very wacky over the top like the Nutty Professor, like, it's the basis of Professor Frank on uh, on The Simpsons. Like, that whole, like, oh, Cloven Maven, like that kind of, like, I can't. Uh-huh. That was I'm not an impressionist. I'll put a <laughs> fucking clip in to make up for what I just did.
0: I'm terribly sorry, sir. Are you hurt? Uh, well, actually, yeah. If you would say that a man with an ulcer had a nail in his
1: shoe and a splinter in his finger was then struck by lightning. If you could say that that man was not hurt, then yes, you would say I'm not hurt. These babies will be in the stores while he's still grappling with the pickle matrix.
2: Glavin, glavin.
1: But he's known for being like, like a goof. Like he's
2: interesting.
1: He's very, um, he was very well respected, but he he was always silly. Like he was always the silly man and everything. And at this point in his career, he was kind of, I wouldn't say considered a has been, but like he was definitely on the decline of popularity. What? And he, um, he he kind of started. He decided he didn't really want to do comedy anymore. He has this infamous movie, which smarter people than me know more about. But uh, it was called "The Day the Clown Died" or "Cried: The Day the Clown Cried," and it was supposed to be this incredibly like dramatic piece about a clown who is living in a Nazi concentration camp in World War II and all this stuff. Uh, it's riddled with production problems. I-, I can't even begin to get into it now, but it, it's never even been released. So, but it cost tons and tons of money, and like basically like labeled him as like someone who is a disaster to put behind the it movie it didn't
2: even come out and oh i see no, like it, from the studio standpoint they were yeah like
1: like, like they were like yeah this guy's like because like, cause like he, he was directing and starring in that movie and okay. like it lost all its money and, and it was all i don't have all the details huh. of, you know but that and then apparently he tried to do a couple of stage shows like uh, broadway shows mm-hmm. and uh, it just bad reviews across the board people were like look at him trying to be serious and this and that so it was like a gamble to put him in this movie. That's why he wasn't even the first choice. Martin Scorsese was like, "I want Johnny Carson," Well, Johnny Carson's been... like. Yeah. But also, that might not have been good either because he's never acted in his life, and he just turned it down. Where he's like, "I don't want to be in movies. Like, he likes to riff, you know. Like, he he doesn't want to sit there and do a thousand takes, yeah, and all this stuff." So he turned it down. But I thought Jerry Lewis was a fantastic choice because his life is this guy's life. Like, uh-huh. he's not a talk show host, but he's as famous as he's supposed to be. Like, he's as famous in real life as he's supposed to be in this movie right especially in that time so like i just feel like like he's even said like he's downplayed his performance to be like i don't know why people think i did a great job in this movie like i played myself like i <laughs> like i just reacted the way i would react like you know like and this and that but it was it was just perfect like
2: perfect i thought everything. it was great yeah, he really nailed it. I just feel like he embodied what a late night talk show host would be at that time, like, in yeah, that like 20
1: years in like, yeah, just like, yeah, like, like, nothing excites him anymore about it. The whole idea of fame has disillusioned him. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, like, I've had it for 20 years. Like, I don't like I, like this isn't it's not what happiness comes from this and that. And, and again, like, to be talking about that in 1982, like, like now, you know, with podcasts and everything, people opening up and tons of autobiography, you know, like, right. it's not, it's not crazy to see, like, why Robin Williams was depressed or why Jim Carrey always talks about, like, right. like, fame doesn't bring me any happiness, like, you know, like, things like that. I mean, I'm sure the comfort of the money does, but mm-hmm. that's, that's a different.
2: I would love to watch a half hour video of late night talk show hosts of today sort of commenting on this yeah. film yeah that and how cool. they react to it
1: yeah yeah that would be really interesting one cool thing that helped uh, with the production i thought was jerry's character initially was named robert langford uh-huh. and then once they found out they were shooting in new york he uh jerry went to martin scorsese and told him like no you should make my character named jerry and he was like why and he was like i go to new york a lot trust me if we're filming on the streets we're going to get tons of people calling out my name Uh... and we can use it in the movie if that's my name. So outside of like the cab draw, outside of any actors who had lines, those were all real reactions of people seeing Jerry Lewis walking down the wow. street going, yo, Jerry, Jerry. Because he was like, that's just how New Yorkers are. When I'm in New York, people shout out to me. So like those construction workers, like that wasn't planned. Like that was a bunch of construction workers.
2: That was amazing. Who saw Jerry Lewis
1: walking and then they were just like, ah. And so, yeah, like like he just knew they were going to get a lot of gold. And if, if his name was Robert, they were just going to have to lose all these moments. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Oh, that's
2: fantastic. Yeah. I love that he thought about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I just, man, like, you just, like, whenever I watch him in this movie, like, I feel tired with Mm -hmm. him because he's not – he's never treated like a person, like a human being. Like, Mm -hmm. the second he steps out of that building, it's just everyone like, hey, Jerry, hey. And, like, you can see he still has to be on to a certain extent. Like, like that cab driver pulls over and starts, like, talking to him. And he's like, hey, Jerry, you got to put me on the show. And, like, he has a couple of wise comebacks for the taxi cab. You know, it keeps him happy. So I'm like, man, this guy – just never gets to be, like, a normal person. And from what the movie shows you, he doesn't really have any relationships. Like, right. Like, he lives alone. He's got a house staff. Like, he plays golf alone. Like, he doesn't have any, like, a woman right. in his life. He doesn't have a
2: friend. There's a point in the film where, I guess, Masha has stalked him. Ma- the character Masha has stalked him for such amount, a good amount of time that she kind of, like, has this observation of Jerry and why he chooses to walk down the street. Yeah. Um, which I thought was very interesting. Like, he wants to be around people. But, again, like, he's so famous that he can't really be himself around people. Yeah. Like, like you said, he has to always be on. So, I thought that even though she, you know... <laughs> well, she also
1: a... said he feels safe in crowds because, like...
2: That is also like, true. Like, uh,
1: everyone recognizes him. So, in theory, if something bad were to happen, someone would be like, Hey, that's Jerry Langford. Don't mm-hmm. you dare... You know, like... Yeah. The movie might show that it doesn't happen, but... <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, I just really think it's interesting to, like, comment on celebrity like that. Like, back when like especially like i feel like networks were really good at like keeping celebrities like personal lives out of like y- like you know mm-hmm. it's it's not until today's day and age like again with podcasts and everything where like the line between celebrity and who they are is more is thinner mm-hmm. and like you know back then it would be like this is the persona that you were on tv and then like you hid who you actually were so I, I i thought that was just really interesting it showed like the toll of like you just like Like he never had a smile. He like the only time he's ever smiling or laughing is during Rupert's fantasies, Mm -hmm. and every other time he just looks like just looks like sad, (laughs) you know.
2: This isn't like a spoiler in terms of like it being relevant to the plot of the movie, but when Rupert takes Rita out to dinner, Uh there was this distracting man behind Robert De Niro (laughs) in the background. I think he was an extra, but. I thought he was going to be part of the movie at some point because he was just so. He was kind of looking straight at the camera. Yeah, he was it, You mimicking. see him sitting
1: there with, with his. Like, just like. Like, if he was an extra, like, he's the worst extra of all time because he's just staring directly at them while they're talking, which extras are not supposed to do. Right. And then, yeah, they're like, you pointed out, and I, I don't know how <laughs> I've never noticed it because once Masha pointed it out, we were on the scene three times because I kept getting distracted. Where. <laughs> Robert De Niro's doing stuff with his hands, like, talking, and then the guy behind him is mimicking him exactly.
2: Yes. Exactly. Yeah. That's so what like, what? But, it just reminded me of, like, a student film moment, you right, know? So,
1: I did learn what that was all about.
2: Oh. Yeah. There's actually... Okay. Yes. So Interesting. So,
1: that guy was an actor. He was supposed to be there doing that stuff, and then there was a scene after that scene that they ended up cutting out of the movie because they didn't think it worked, Oh. so he because because remember i kept saying like i'm gonna be really embarrassed if this guy because like you, when you watch it you're like there's no way he's not supposed to be there <laughs> like like especially for someone as good as scorsese like you don't just miss that you know what i mean I, and i've never seen these deleted scenes apparently they're on the blu-ray but i don't have that but i heard scorsese talking about it on stage where he he knows who rupert is and knows who rita is and like because rupert has the reputation of being a joke he, like, he sees that they're on, like, a date, and then so, like, he's watching because he's like, look at this train wreck. Mm-hmm. And then as he, as Rupert's talking, he's kind of doing that to, like, mim- like mock him, like, like, oh, I'm Rupert Pumpkin, know. Oh, look at me, I'm on a date, you know, and that yeah. kind of shit. And then he gets up to make a phone call about something, but essentially what's supposed to happen is he comes over and starts, like, hitting on Rita, and then she leaves Rupert, she leaves the date and, like, goes home with that guy. And it's, oh. like like, further just, like, humiliates Rupert and, like, makes him upset and this and that, uh, they ended up cutting it out of the movie and, yeah, I think it's fine, like, because the next time we see Rita is when they go to the, uh, yeah, and you think to the it's weekend, a dream. they go to the weekend together, so it's like, so, yeah, they cut that out, but, yeah he, Martin Scorsese even said like, yeah, we ended up lifting the part of the movie, but like shooting was done. We're going to go back and reshoot that whole scene. Right. So like, we just left it in.
2: See, <laughs> my theory was, if you didn't find all this information, was that, you know, Scorsese was just so concerned about De Niro's performance. And when he was looking at the footage, he only looked at De Niro and didn't pay attention. That's to that hilarious. Guy. Like that, that's what my theory was going to be. But... Yeah.
1: I mean, my theory was before I found that out was that he was like someone's fucking cousin. And they mm-hmm. were like, yo, like, you know, like, like, like it's like scorsese's like second cousin and like his mom like made him put him in the movie or right. something. Like...
2: but even then like you got to tell him to cut it out you <laughs> yeah. can't have that in your movie but, but... yeah so
1: it was all intentional okay. um, it was not a problem at all
2: yeah because you know it's boring scorsese <laughs> like yeah. that's such a weird he he's not gonna make a mistake like that so yeah that makes sense
1: yeah so let's move on um we'll go into the spoilers because there's a pretty big inciting incident which if you read any plot synopsis it's going to tell you right away but it doesn't actually happen until about the third act of the movie like like the movie's just under two hours and like you get an hour and change before this happens so I consider it a spoiler so moving forward we're going to talk about the rest of the movie including everything that happens at the end everything so you have been warned to quickly talk more about kind of Rupert's delusion and his fantasies, one of the fantasies, if you remember, that he has is he's a guest on Jerry's show, and then Jerry ends up bringing out his old high school principal and then tells him that guy's an ordained minister and they're there to marry Rupert to his dream girl, a.k.a. Rita, on live TV.
2: What a scene.
1: And f- it's great because at first you're like, oh, it's his f- it's another one of these fantasies. He wishes, you know, like he wants to marry Rita because he he's like in love with her, blah, blah, blah. But then when you watch the scene... It has nothing to do with Rita or getting married, and it's all just talking about him. And so, like, it's just further proof that, like, everything's, like, almost an accessory to his fame. Yep. That he wants, and he's not, like... He just doesn't have the ability to connect with anybody emotionally. and like,
2: Hashtag cringe. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so, like, the, the principal is... Uh, he's... Oh, we he says like, "Oh, we're sorry for everything we've ever done to you," like which probably in my to me shows like he wasn't treated well in school by teachers or kids and mm-hmm. so like like now he's getting the big apology and like, you know, they just talk about how great he is and then so I just found it funny that it's a fantasy about marrying who he thinks is the love of his life
2: on national television on
1: national television, (laughs) but it doesn't like no one ever mentions. She doesn't talk in the fantasy. Nobody even talks about like you two met, like now you're in love. Like it's all just like Rupert, we all doubted you, but look how great you are now. You have this beautiful woman, you have this and that. And yeah. And speaking of which, she was like way out of his league. Look wise, I think. Oh, What, What do you think?
2: I mean, I, I didn't really pay attention to that. I, I, it didn't bother me or it didn't seem out of reason that he would be with her. Yeah. She was beautiful. Yeah, she was. Um, and
1: it's funny because, you know, Robert De Niro, especially young Robert De Niro, isn't a bad looking guy, but the way they dress this dude, right? like, he just looks like a goof. Like, mm-hmm. I, like I'm always so impressed when they can believably make a good looking person that, like, goofy <laughs> and unattractive. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, he had weird ass mustache where Martin Scorsese said he even made sure one half of the mustache was always shorter than the other half. Like oh just to like make you uneasy. And that weird ass haircut and the colorful suits and the sh- the, the haircut shoes. was bad. Yeah, it yeah. It was really
2: bad. But like it was great for this character. So
1: I found that um I found that really funny. They said that they uh they found his look like on a mannequin like they were like walking and they saw this goofy dressed mannequin and like marty was like that's it that's rupert like like let's just buy all these clothes right now like like we're going for mannequin with him like (laughs) like like that's the look we want this guy to have throughout Uh, the whole movie
2: the other interesting thing about his fantasies is like he always seems to be he he has this desire to be needed yes there's a vision he has where jerry
1: <laughs>
2: oh whatever there's a fantasy he has where jerry is basically begging him to take over the tonight show i don't know if they gave the show a name but
1: no yeah it wasn't it was just called the jerry langford show oh yes it's, he's for legal reasons <laughs> begging
2: him to take over for like a few weeks For six weeks yeah he's like ah oh, jerry i can't like you know it just seemed like he wanted people to want him
1: yeah no you nailed it on the head with that like he he's clearly someone who's never been appreciated his whole life and so he's just like yeah in his fantasies it's
2: yeah it's like i need you jerry i love you jerry it's just i mean i know fame is already that but it just seemed like another layer of the desire to like be with or yeah have jerry around but
1: like yeah his crazy shortcomings are gonna keep him back because he's he always wants the instant gratification yeah. and the instant success. Like I said earlier, like he's not trying to actually put in the work the way a stand-up would mm-hmm. to get on one of these shows. Like he just wants to like flip a switch and then be best friends with Jerry and <sighs> go on vacations with him.
2: But the tolerance of the people around him in this movie when he goes to the um to the office, the show's office, and talks to the producer and the receptionists, I feel like this movie could have easily gone down the route where the producers and receptionists were, like, just jerks to Rupert. But it didn't. They were still respectful and professional, which I think is how it would have happened. But, like... Yeah, because, I mean, th-
1: you don't want a scuffle in your office. Like, you want, like, you know, like, you, you want in real life, that's how you would do it. And that's right. why... I don't like when it's, when things are so over the top, when like a mean person is so mean, like, you know, like in a bad movie, he would have got laughed out of the office where like the receptionist would have been like pointing and laughing. Security
2: would have been called in the first scene. Yeah.
1: And I'm just like, yeah, that's not like, that's not really how life works. Like a receptionist isn't going to point and laugh at you because you have bad jokes and you embarrass yourself, you know? Yeah.
2: I just thought it brought an element of reality to it. But, and also I hate when they go that route where like just everyone's over the top. Yeah. Would laugh at him, kick him out, whatever. Yeah. so, but at the same time, it was hard to watch because he kept just pushing it. Yeah, like like it. you
1: almost wanted them to get stern with him yes. because he like he needs someone to like yell at him basically. Yeah, and uh, and even that scene we brought up earlier where they're when they go to Jerry's house when Jerry just like he's like I-, I can call the cops for you being here. I think you should leave. And he keeps like just completely ignoring all that. And then eventually Jerry has to flat out be in, like, no. I'm telling you, I want you to get out of my house right now. And then he finally goes like, okay, I could take a hint. I could take a hint. I'm not wanted. Like, you know, and then like, right. and then he does a lot of that, like, like he's always the victim. So like, then he immediately has to turn it on Jared. And he's like, oh, I didn't know you were like this after how you treated me. Like he broke into this man's house, mm-hmm. did all sorts of like fucked up shit. And then just immediately goes like, like, I'll never forget what you did to me today and this and that. And it's right. like, oh yeah, he's sick in the head. Yes. Like he is sick in the head. Yeah, and I just find it crazy, like when they're going around Jerry's house and he and he's showing all the photos to Rita, and he's like, "Ooh, this this is uh from his first appearance on this, and this is a famous children like to know all that before the internet is crazy. Yeah, that like, was bad. like you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I don't know how where you're scouring. Like, I guess you're just rewatching these episodes. Like, yes. like but yeah, you're not taping them in 1982. Like
2: again, another reason why I thought it was a dream.
1: Yeah, um, Listen to that. But all right so then after he gets kicked out of the house that's where the big moment and the rest of the plot really kicks in because you don't we don't see them plan it but Rupert and Masha make a plan where they're going to kidnap Jerry off the street and then hold him ransom so that way Rupert will basically be guaranteed a spot a stand up set on the on the Jerry Langford show
2: and Masha can have her alone time with Jerry. Yes, in the meantime. And she can. She
1: can have her her romantic oh, evening alone my with Jerry. God. Oh my god! From, from <laughs> this point on, the movie just fucking goes nuts, and it's awesome.
2: I was not expecting this turn yeah. of events.
1: Yeah, and and to be fair, like they show you right away that they're doing it with a fake gun, so it's like, yes, these are unhinged crazy people, but they're also like, it's not fully like we're gonna. I don't know if they... like. I don't think they would actually hurt Jerry. Like, they, they're they just no, using him as wouldn't. a means for their own, like, psychosis. You know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> so, like, it's, it's also weird where, obviously, they're not sympathetic. But it's not quite as bad as if, like, he really went out and bought a real gun and pulled this off. Because mm-hmm. then I would be a lot more scared of being like, fuck, is he going to a snap at any moment and start shooting people
2: from jerry's perspective they do look crazy and that they oh would yeah kill him. oh absolutely
1: <laughs> i mean well because they have to make it real so that way otherwise he can't do it
2: yeah but i just feel like they're both so unpredictable in their responses that if i'm in jerry's shoes like i don't know what's going oh yeah on. yeah
1: i'm speaking of us as a um audience you,
2: you know what was hilarious what's that the cue cards
1: Oh, the cue card scene was so funny.
2: <laughs> so I, Yeah,
1: I, I, we'll get into that right now. But I just want to say for as sad and weird and dark and depressing and unsettling this movie is, it's also hilarious at yeah. times. Like there's some genuinely, truly funny moments. And this cue card scene is one of them.
2: My jaw was to the ground. I couldn't believe it. So Rupert has Jerry call the studio staging the ransom. Yeah to arrange the terms terms for this exchange um for him to get a slot on the on the show and he writes what he wants jerry to say on cue cards (laughs) and the scene is so funny because you know he's he's pulling the cue cards way too slow so jerry has to read it's a lot
1: of great physical comedy yeah
2: he has to wait for the for him to flip the card one card's upside down one card is blank so he needs to turn it around what i
1: love is like, Jerry Lewis is acting in this scene. Like, you could just read in his face where he's thinking, like, I can't believe I'm being held captive and my life is threatened by these two dumb fucking idiots. <laughs> oh, my God. It just, like, he just, you know, without even saying it, you're just like, I feel your frustration, dude. You're like, like how did I get here? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. That was great. And,
1: and the scene before that when uh, Masha's making him try on... This sweater that she's been knitting for him, and like you know, the sleeves aren't even like sewn yet. So it's like this weird, like, like vest sweater with the sleeves that aren't sewn
2: red looks good on you yeah and she's
1: like i can't believe how good i did just by guessing that's amazing and like like he's just sitting there and like basically being like a living doll for these people and he's just like and the (sighs) whole time like he barely talks at all during this portion of the movie like he's a lot more talkative in the other parts and you can just see it on his face where he's like he's fucking yeah psychos like it's amazing it was
2: great (laughs) facial acting face acting
1: yeah fa- yeah i don't know if it's the term facial face <laughs> so yeah that shit that was good crazy. yeah and then that leads to another good scene of like the network discussing like what they want to do with this and you know some people are like we shouldn't be giving into him and don't put him on tv and then some people are like he could die and we're right. talking about like the one line where he's like we're talking about at the end of the day we're talking about 10 minutes of one episode of a daily talk show mm-hmm. versus a man's life like this isn't yeah and um uh, and i agreed with them too because like yeah i understand the whole concept of like we don't give it to terrorist demands but like a his demands were not that hard like you know what i mean like yeah,
2: they just don't want somebody else to think that they could do it and then
1: yeah yeah i get that but it's also like it's a pre-taped show it's not like he's not gonna go on live tv right like you know what i mean so it's i, I kind of i think i would have and like, obviously, they don't know how unhinged he actually is. But by all accounts, he was saying like, as soon as this is over, you'll get him back, and this and that. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So.
2: Yeah, I thought that was a very realistic executive uh, meeting slash conversation, oh, yeah. especially with Jerry's lawyer there. Oh yeah, he's just lawyer. like, I'm suing all of you. <laughs> I was like, yeah. That was. Uh, I <laughs> that found was really
1: out. Funny. I found out that that was. Uh, that's not an actor. That was Jerry Lewis's real lawyer. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he <laughs> was just having a good time. <laughs>
2: um, uh, he sold it. Yeah. He nailed it.
1: And then they eventually allow him to get taped. I think the movie very smartly, like, doesn't show the taping. Yes. Like, you just see him go out on stage, introduce himself, and then it cuts away.
2: And it does... This movie does this the entire time. We never hear any of Rupert's jokes we you know we never like
1: throughout the movie yeah yeah. yeah yeah he does like that little pride and joy joke a little bit earlier like yes. he's like check out my pride and joy and it's a picture of the two products pride and joy right yeah then he you know he basically tells the cops like it's like I'm not gonna release Jerry until it airs at 11 30 so mm-hmm. like you know they tape at 7 or whatever then Then he has them take him to the bar where Rita works to to watch his final performance. And then that's where we see his performance. And I remember I was shocked the first time that like he was funny. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, comedy subjective, but, like, in the world of the movie, the audience eats up his yeah. jokes.
2: I was surprised as well. Yeah. and I, I thought think it, it was going to bomb. Yeah,
1: because the whole movie is just him with egg on his face. He's delusional about everything that he's ever... Like, everything he says is a lie. Everything he thinks is happening in real life isn't actually happening. So, like, why would you think he's funny? Like, right. you know, like, because you only have his word to go on. So then, when he actually comes out and like he's got like some pretty good monologue jokes and this and that, and then um, and
2: actually good presence, yeah. You know? like, like I think everybody in the movie at least assumed that he would just kind of like get shy. And Jerry even at one point tells him like you gotta be less timid or whatever yeah, in the car. Yeah. I was expecting him to feel weird in front of an audience, but he yeah. he, he felt natural. And Robert De Niro, pl- doing a monologue like that. Well, it was really cool to see. Like, yeah, he yeah. actually... I felt like I was watching a comedian on a late-night talk yep, show. Yeah, exactly. Rather than an actor playing a comedian. Yeah, yeah.
1: No, De Niro's one of the best. He's so fucking good. Oh. So then with that simultaneously going on, that's when... Um, how did you feel about the Jerry escaping from Masha scene?
2: ho. Oh. well, <laughs> before Jerry escaping, seeing Jerry almost get assaulted.
1: Yeah, so he's completely tied up. He's... he's... Completely tied up with tape, and it's it's a hilarious image. It's like it's just Jerry Lewis, his entire body covered in white tape up into his mouth, and then just his exposed head, yeah, and his just his angered furloughed look on his face the whole time.
2: Oh my god! And Masha's insane. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, she's monologue. Going
2: she just keeps talking,
1: and I love it. Like you totally, you get little glimpses of her life because she's the one thing that the main difference in her and rupert is she's rich yes and we, they don't ever tell you why so i always took it to assume that it's family that was money family yeah yeah, yeah like because rupert in the beginning goes about like he's like i live in a hovel like i don't have any money i can't pay my rent you live in a townhouse and then like she throws some money at him to do a favor and mm-hmm. stuff and then yeah she lives in this great townhouse with all this she has this fine china glass that she immediately breaks on the ground because she's crazy yeah and then she says the the one thing where she was like i love you jerry I've never said I love you to anyone, not even my parents. Well, they've never said it to me either, you know, so whatever. <laughs> so I'm just like, oh, okay, so she was a super rich kid with completely disconnected parents who mm-hmm. never took the time to raise her. She's never had any kind of love or approval or anything from anybody. And so that's why she like seeks it out of this, cra- out of a celebrity. Yeah. like, Like, and why she, all- like, her fantasy world was rooted in a completely different place as Rupert's fantasy world. Yes. But they both were like the same
2: they were so extreme same
1: outcome different start you know what i mean
2: yeah and her emo i found it very interesting though that she was finally getting what she wanted but at the end of the day she didn't even need to hear jerry talk she was just talking at him yeah she just kept going and going yeah yeah like at first i thought she
1: was gonna get like the first time i saw it i thought maybe she was gonna get mad that like he wasn't engaging but then i realized it's not about Jerry. like it's about like It's like whatever fucking brain chemistry is going on. oh my God,
2: Sandra's acting too. Like for her to be like, I want to be wild. I want to be freaking wild tonight. Yeah. Oh, don't you want to be wild? Like it was just like, let's do something crazy tonight. Just get insane. I want to be crazy. I want to be nuts. I want some fun! God damn it, my doctor says, don't have any fun. You can't have fun, no. You're not allowed to have a good time. You can't get crazy. See, I have to be in control, and I like being in control, but you know, for one night, I'd like to see myself out of my head. Wouldn't you like to see me out of my head? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be fabulous?
1: She was so freaking good. <laughs> A
2: roller coaster. It was insane. Yeah.
1: Then so she keeps talking about how she's gonna, she's gonna have sex with him. She's like, I she can't wa-
2: believe I'm gonna kiss you right now. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he's tied up. Like it's uncomfortable.
2: Yeah. He's got tape on his mouth. And yeah. She and.
1: Like- and then she, she's talking about, like, I want to make love right here on this table and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so that's why I was asking, what do you think about his, like, the, him getting out scene? Do you think it works? Or do you did you...
2: I, I was very surprised she untaped him. I thought she was going to be smarter than that.
1: <laughs> so I actually like it. So, yes, yeah, she's... Throughout the movie, she's kind of proven to be... Even though she's as crazy as Rupert, she's way more logical than he is. Yes. Like, she's able to read situations better than him. Uh-huh. When they first have Jerry at gunpoint... And then Jerry's slowly convincing Rupert, like, "Hey, if you just put the gun down and and let me leave here right now, I'll put you on the show. You know, I won't press charges." And like Rupert's gonna believe him. And then she has the line where she's like, "Oh, now you know he he hates you every day. Now you have a gun on him, and he wants to be friends." Like, rise right. up, you know. Exactly. So she has more situation awareness, but like, I think he played it really smart as the captor or captive. He let her just pour her all of this emotion out. And she, like, got very vulnerable, like, in her own feelings. And, you know, there's nothing more than she wants than for Jerry to love her and and to be with her. And so, like, she knows she has him captive. She knows that it's not the most perfect situation. And then so I think when he finally, like, he waits until, like, he waits till she takes her clothes off. She's truly in her underwear sitting on his lap. The rape is going down any minute. And then so it's I think it's just, like, the perfect trip where he, trick where he's just like, hey take this tape off right now like like it like i could see i actually believe that like she believed like holy shit like like she was so in her own feelings that that logical part of her brain left Mm. and like she was so close to getting the thing she always wanted which where she thinks she wants i'm sure (laughs) wouldn't have made her happy um that she like fell for it and then when he gets up and then just smacks like it's one of the truly most deserved men smacking woman scenes in movie history. Oh, you know, man. <laughs> like there's tons of times we watch old movies where you're like, "Oh, he just smacked the shit out of her," and I am uncomfortable. Right. I don't feel bad for her at all. Literally after everything she's done this entire movie, I'm like, "You're lucky you got off with a slap to the face." Yeah. Like,
2: <laughs> oh my god! And then, but she follows him out. I know. In her and her then, underwear. Like,
1: and it was just the perfect example of like her psychosis. Like, <laughs> it was never. She's always going to be chasing that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he, he's, he breaks out, slaps her to the ground super hard. And then she runs out of the house in her underwear, like, super humiliating, yeah. just screaming his name to come back.
2: Oh, gosh.
1: I, I bought it all. Like, no,
2: I, I bought it, too. I just thought that I was just surprised. But I think you bring up a great point. Like, she was just vulnerable. And yeah, she kind of let her emotions get the best of so, her. So,
1: um, Jerry Lewis, he, he thought the ending should be that, that Rupert and her kill him. And, uh, but Scorsese was like, he just what? didn't, he didn't think that would be a good ending. Like, like, he just didn't want that to be the, like, it still ended up getting scrapped. And like, so Jerry Lewis has always been like, ah, I think I should have died. You know, I think mm, it would have made a...
2: I don't think that needed to happen. Yeah.
1: I don't think so either. Because I like that as psychotic as they were, they weren't like, they weren't, tr- they weren't out to intentionally hurt people.
0: I agree. They hurt
1: people indirectly. Like one of the scenes, like, like how. They, I like that the movie goes out of their way to show you the person that got bumped because Rupert bullied his way onto the show. Mm-hmm. Like he, he forced his way to be, to get a time slot on the show. And then that one author who brings his whole family to New York, yeah. he's about to go and he gets denied entrance into the 30 rock. And like, like, so that's someone who is the opposite of Rupert. He did everything the right way. Mm-hmm. Like he, he made it on the show based on the merit of his work. He worked hard. He has loved ones in his family who care about him. And then he had all that taken away from him. Because of Rupert's actions. And like Rupert didn't even like. Doesn't even cross his mind that that was a possibility. Yeah. So like I like that, that like they specifically showed them like it's that kind of mental illness. Where you're so selfish and self-involved. Like you you end up hurting people. But you don't go out of your way to like leave the house. Be like I'm going to take that person down and destroy that person. Hmm. So I felt like if they killed Jerry it just would. It would have been like that's not them. Like you know but... what I mean. Like like they don't hate. Neither of them hate Jerry. Like you know like. They just love him to an un. Like, a, a super unhealthy yeah, way. Yeah,
2: and I I feel like if it ended that way, it would just color all fans. Like, they either want all of Jerry or, like, yeah. kill him. You yeah, know, like, it, all yeah. you want all of whoever you're a fan of or... And I don't think that's true.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. There's also always, there's been some debates by, you know, film people and people who like critics and stuff like that about, because the movie is so filled with fantasy sequences mm-hmm. and that whether or not that ending plays out the way it actually does. Ooh. I kind of think after seeing it a bunch of times, I, I think that it does actually play out that way. And I think it's a stronger commentary on show business by having, so Rupert does his act. People love it he immediately turns himself in well the cops are with him at the time but he he goes to jail with no problem like he doesn't he doesn't resist the arrest he spends 6 years in jail but then he uses that time to actually write an act to work on an autobiography and the time he's in jail like his legend grows mm-hmm. and people hear about it. Like people are like, that's the guy who kidnapped Jerry Langford and then went on TV and killed and this and that. And then he becomes the new obsession of America. Mm-hmm. And then when he comes out now, he's as big as Jerry was like, they're making a movie about his life. He's, he's doing, you know, talk show appearances. He has a new comedy hour and right. all this stuff. And so I think there was an argument to be made about, could that be Rupert's fantasy while he's sitting in jail? Yeah. But I don't know. I the way I look at it is like the movie is really taking this like hard satirical look at celebrity fandom and the nature of like like unhealthy relationship with celebrities. And so I think it's like a perf by having that be real, I think that's like a perfect cap on the movie. Yeah. Where it's like, like Rupert did everything wrong. He's not a good person. He, he broke the law. He he did everything that, like, should make everybody hate him. But because he got on TV and was funny and, like, charismatic,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he's now the new hot thing in the world. And then, like...
2: I believe that. <laughs> yeah.
1: And also, I have hindsight's twenty twenty, so when I, I know what happens in life... Like, like, I know the next 20, 30 years of pop culture, and... I feel like not so much today, but even like, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands, like I feel like we we loved like scumbag pop artists. Mm-hmm. Like whether or not they were scumbags in real life, we loved that portrayal. Like we loved an Eminem, we loved the Bizkit. like we loved the uh, you know, like the jackass guys. Like like we kinda like like bad behavior was like rewarded. Or even, you know, with, with uh <laughs> The real-
2: attitude era. Yeah, the attitude
1: era of wrestling, like reality T V you know. Nobody loves Jersey Shore because they like the content of these people's character. They like to see them get drunk, and they mm. like that Snooki gets punched in the face. And, like, like, all this shit that's, like, objectively, like, shitty. Right. But we accept, like, you know, Cardi B comes out and says that, you know, before she was a rapper, she would go on dates with guys, drug them, and then rob them while they were sleeping. Like, and people fucking applauded her for it. like You know what I mean? Like, so it still exists. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like, I just, I think the movie works better if it's not his fantasy yeah in terms of a commentary
2: i agree i didn't even question that at all when i watched it
1: (laughs) you said every other scene you questioned whether or not it was real or not
2: well yeah because i don't know it just seemed real to me that this would happen like people would be obsessed with that story and be like you know yeah be the start of his fame Mm -hmm. so yeah i didn't question it at all
1: (laughs) and i know uh one small thing before we kind of get towards uh our end segments here and i know this is an easy thing to do in movies and it's not that <laughs> that huge big of a praise but like i also just like the fact that uh there was never any it was never a big deal that the girl he was obsessed with was a black girl like like Rita was black and he was white mm-hmm. like i don't know for 1982 like i just feel like they they easily could have made that a big deal in the movie and oh, they were just I like see. like you know what i mean it was just like it just was it just went under the radar and it was totally oh. fine
2: I was like, it's New York. You know, like, you know? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> We're recording this in the time of Corona. And, you know, as you mentioned earlier, I work at 30 Rock. Yeah. So it was so interesting to see 30 Rock or like that area of Manhattan again. After
1: not being there for, <laughs> uh, what is it? How long has it been? this 80 days? Yeah. Like,
2: like... But like, I know it's, you know, <laughs> back in the 80s, but it's still like a lot of it looks yeah. the same. So it was just, I was like, oh, Manhattan. I forgot <laughs> <laughs> what it looks like.
1: Yeah, I love. I used to eat lunch I, there. I already said all this on the Warriors episode, so I'm not going to repeat. But man, I love when it, like this whole movie was shot on location in New York.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like I just love, like every decade in New York looks different. And so like I just love to see it like captured like that. Where yeah. there were so many scenes on the street and everything like that. That were so good. Oh, so uh, real quick, too, with the improvisation I wanted to talk about before. So the whole scene we were talking with Jerry Lewis tied up and Sandra giving her stuff, that was almost entirely improvised. Like, they would just let where, where he was tied up and Sandra was having dinner with him. And, yes. And all that. So, like, they would basically, like, cut. And then her and Mar- Marty would, like, talk would like talk it out. Oh and then God. she would go and just, like, none of her dialogue was written. The idea of what she had to come across was written. But, like, she Sandra, just went full, Sandra, full Sandra. improvised.
2: How are you so good?
1: <laughs> and the whole scene of uh Rupert and uh the hell's her name? Rita Rita. whoa
2: tables turned (laughs) the whole let it be known that i helped andy recall (laughs) the name of a character
1: (laughs) when rupert and rita go to his weekend house that we talked about earlier that also was fully improvised Mm -hmm. so they were just they were just riffing all that stuff including uh who i think is the funniest character who's the butler all improvised scenes so everything he said he's actually that funny
2: oh my god what did he say (laughs) when
1: he's like when he called him like, jerry uh jerry we have a problem at the house What's wrong? Everything's wrong. Like, like, it was just like...
2: I'm getting a heart attack right now. <laughs> yeah, and, was...
1: and um, even the point of uh, <laughs> when when the door gets stuck, like it actually got stuck. Like, oh, wow. He was supposed to just open the door. But like, he, you see the guy struggling. And then he opens it. He's like, would you open the goddamn door already? I, I bust out laughing every time. <laughs> like, he's so frustrated. This guy's in his house. And then on top of that, the guy went, fucking butler won't <laughs> open the door. <laughs> oh, it was so good. All right, do you have anything else to add about the ending, or can we move on to our best worst? We can move on to best worst. All right, let's do it. All right, so I guess I'll, I'll shoot one first. Sure. If you, don't, if you don't mind. So I was saying, and this is pretty broad, so you can just think of it, but I was thinking the best and worst like comedic moment in the movie. Like, oh. like part where... Because so much of the movie is, like, sad and weird and creepy. Yeah. Uh. So, like, parts where it was, like, just truly funny and, like, where, where it went for it and it worked and didn't work. So, my best, uh, we literally just talked about it, but it was everything with Jerry's butler and the pinnacle of being the door getting stuck when he just comes yeah. into the house. I just lose it every time on that scene. Like, the cue card is great. Everything with the mom is great. But, like, I don't know what it is. This scene just crushes it in terms of comedy for me (laughs) yeah
2: i thought the butler was hilarious um but yeah i love the cue card scene i love the ransom call yeah it was so good
1: yeah yeah we're kind Uh, of rehashing because we talked about these moments yeah
2: but yeah yeah, yeah, i'm 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 gonna have to pick that one even if, if
1: if you don't If you don't end up seeking this movie out, just Google some of these scenes. Like they're so funny to watch on their own. And then Worst was hard for me because honestly, this movie I love this movie so much. I don't have a lot of worsts. So this is kinda nitpicking in terms of worst. But if I had to pick something, I would say it's the very beginning of the movie opens with Jerry doing a monologue on his show. Mm -hmm. And it is decently funny, but I'm just I would say that's probably my least favorite in terms of getting actual laughs. And that's mostly me just cuz like at this point it's fucking 2020 like the idea of a the monologue has been done to death so like I'm not really seeing anything new or like fresh there so Burn. I don't think it really counts because it's the nature it's 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 supposed to be a comedy monologue and it completely succeeds like it's it it completely replicates what those are like but I just didn't think it was like necessary. Like if I had to pick what was supposed to be funny that I wasn't really laughing, it was like right. the kind of the tired old like Tonight Show style jokes.
2: Okay, that's yeah. fair. This is hard. Worst. Whew.
1: Or it could be something maybe that was supposed to be funny, but you just got way too uncomfortable. I mean, I almost because th- like the 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 scene where you said if he says Jerry one more time, I'm gonna go crazy. Like because that is a funny scene. Oh, but it's I... so tense that like.
2: I'll pick one. Okay. It's, I don't know if this was supposed to be a funny scene, but there's a scene where Rupert calls the show the show office from a payphone uh-huh. and basically hogs the phone for like an hour and a half or oh, something, yeah. like a ridiculous amount of time. And just, you know, this line forms and people are getting angry nope. at him and all that. Yeah,
1: that's, that's, that's <sighs> played for comedy. It
2: made me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. That's a good choice. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, that's really good. When he falls asleep, like... Because if he doesn't use the payphone, someone else will, and he might miss the call that he's expecting. Yes. So I just thought it was so fucking smart where after that scene's over, he, like, lifts up the phone and puts it to the ear as if he's listening to someone, but then you see his hand is holding the receiver down. Yeah. So, like, he's tricking the phone to yeah. think it's hung up, but he's tricking everyone else to thinking that he's using it. So that way, like, you know, I was like, Jesus, this guy. Yep. And, like, that's what's, like, like I said earlier, where, like, he doesn't. It's not that he doesn't want to put in work to get what he wants. He's just putting in work the wrong way all the time. Right. Like, instead of working on his act, he's sleeping on a payphone and waiting for a phone call. That's never going to happen.
2: Right. He just, he 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 has a sense of entitlement to oh, yeah. this success. Big time. Su- uh, his potential success. Yeah. So.
1: What do you got for ooh. best worst?
2: Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, best worst kidnapping technique.
1: <laughs>
2: I can't get over that scene.
1: I mean, you start because I gotta think.
2: Well, I mean, probably the fake gun.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's the best. I mean, you 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 put a gun to someone, they're probably gonna do right. what, you, what you want.
2: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that was kind of a no a no brainer. I'm happy that it was fake. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> so I could tell you my worst if you don't have a best yet. But
1: no, I mean, I, I have to go with with the gun. Also, <laughs> I mean, that was the only way to really do it. You know. Yeah. I have a worst, but it might be taking yours. So I just no, I go want. go for it. I was gonna say in the beginning of diving headfirst into Jerry's limo and starting to like try to claw at him, like as if like what endgame is that gonna get you? Okay. The the very opening of the oh, movie. See, see, see. But I know that's not something like kidnapping techniques. Uh, no, I'm here. talking
2: about like from the point where Masha and Rupert are in the car, kidnap him, like that whole thing. Like
1: oh, okay. What's in, your worst? In
2: yeah, I think my worst would have to be wrapping him up in tape like that because one who's gonna unwrap him like what's the end game that's a lot of tape so you're spending a lot of money for something that like you really didn't have to do yeah (laughs) i don't know and it's time consuming so i don't know that's gonna be mine
1: all right like i don't like techniques is like what else did they do besides like putting a sweater on him isn't a technique
2: (laughs) the ransom call
1: no, the ransom call worked.
2: Yeah, it did. Um, <coughs> I guess it's the only, <laughs> the only, the only bad part of their plan.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it's a bad plan all around. But it, <laughs> yeah, no, that
2: Okay, but yeah, we can go with your clawing because. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe she was trying to kidnap him.
1: Yeah, or even a kidnap, uh, just like to be with him, like to spend. You know what I mean? Like that's just not how you start. You don't start by screaming your face off and clawing your nails at somebody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's insane. All right. Um best worst scene with either an extra or like a non-main character. So <laughs> like not not Rupert, not Rita, not Jerry, not this and that. Um and I would like to go first because it's my second funniest scene after the the one I mentioned earlier, but it's when is walking down the street and a woman's on a payphone. Oh and yeah. And then calls him. She can't, you hear her, you hear her talking to someone and she goes, Oh my God, you won't believe who's coming near me. Jerry, Jerry. And like, you know, it's just the classic, like, Oh my God, can you sign this? And he's super polite to this lady. Like, you know, he signs her paper for her, but he's like, he has to go somewhere, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, she goes on, she's like, I've been watching you your whole career. I love you, what you do for this. You're one of the greatest of all time. And then she goes, oh, can you please talk to, I forget, like my nephew or something on the phone. Like, can you you please talk to him? And Jerry like finally draws the line where he's like, I know, I'm sorry, I have to go. Very politely. And then she just immediately goes, cancer. I hope you get cancer (laughs) and die. And and it's (laughs) It's it's just like the perfect example of like, of and like what you know you see it now people are like i love star wars and a movie comes out and they go on twitter and they're like oh you ruined my childhood you piece of shit luke skywalker would never blah 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 like grow the fuck up yeah and then i found that when i was doing my research that uh that's that scene jerry lewis directed that scene and Asked to put that in there because that that happened to him almost verbatim. Oh wow! Where he was on his way to go do a set, and the woman at a payphone stopped him, and then she said those exact words. He's like, I never forgot the words <laughs> as I walked away. Cancer. I hope you get cancer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, what a shift, too. It was just so fast. <laughs> so funny. As soon as he said no, she was like, oh. cancer.
0: Jerry Langford, right? Right. Oh, Morris, please hold on. Jerry, would you please sign my order? So sign my magazine for me. Yeah. You're just wonderful. I've watched you your entire career. you a joy to the world. Please, Morris, would you just please say something to my nephew Morris on the phone? He's in the hospital. I'm and sorry, I'm late. You should only get cancer. I hope you get cancer. Jerry.
2: I, ooh, I have a best. What's that? When Rupert gets arrested at the bar, and then you're kind of just, the camera stays at the bar, and the drunk guy's like, hey, the guy just got arrested. He was just on TV. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Rupert's in the bar. He's standing next to the TV telling everyone to watch it while he's, like, literally his face is next to the TV. It plays his monologue for ten minutes and he leaves, and the guy goes... Like, I was the same guy that was on TV. <laughs> uh, uh, it was complete, funny. To complete the fun trivia of who played who, that was Martin Scorsese's dad. What? <laughs> yeah, so, so he just put his family all over this movie. Yes.
2: Marty's my kind of guy. <laughs> Friends and family. He's doing it right.
1: Too bad he hates Captain America. I'm not, I, <laughs> okay,
2: I don't even want to get, be involved in that. Uh.
1: Alright, and then my worst, we already talked about it, so I'll go fast, but it's the cutscene, the guy who's imitating Rupert oh, yeah, from behind that's the him. Because it's so fucking distracting. Yeah. Like Let's uh, agree on yeah, that. It's a yeah, it's a damn nightmare. Right. <laughs> Do you have any other ones? No. Uh my last Oh one- wait. Oh. Best worst.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so fast. <laughs> no. No, I'm done. Turn it off. We're done recording.
2: Sorry, I thought you meant on that specific best worst. Yeah. Um, Actually, yeah. (laughs) Oh
1: my god. All right, my last one is best worst fantasy sequence. Oh. And I will say it goes back to the other one where it's really hard to pick a worst because I think they're all done masterfully. Okay so my best plot wise it has to i think it's the wedding one um i think we learned so much about how rupert's brain works in that wedding fantasy mm-hmm. that it's like it's invaluable to the movie like i think and the way it's just it's like it's, it's shot really well and this and that and like the, the way you get the deep dive of him wanting to be you know right apologized to by the people from his past and the woman of his dreams so that was my um favorite one
2: okay mm. that's hard now that's a great one. I might have to agree with you there. I though I did really enjoy the scene where uh he is it this was less of a fantasy scene and more of him staging a scene and acting it out. Uh Where he has, like, Liza Minnelli to his right. Like, he has a cutout of her and then a cutout of Jerry to his left. Uh And he's kind of just faking, like, he's a guest on the talk show. And he's like, yeah, like... like, hey, my friend, blah, blah, blah. I thought he nailed it there.
1: Nice. All right, so... It's funny because I did put that one as my worst. <laughs> and again, worst is not a big set of quotes. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think any of these things are bad. It's just like if we had to pick. And the only reason is because the other ones are so much more elaborate that like I enjoyed them. And then I also noticed when we watched the credits at the end of the movie, Liza Minnelli was cast. Like it said in the cast, it said Liza Minnelli as herself. Oh. And I did find out that that was supposed to be a long involved fantasy sequence that did get cut. Uh, so that was supposed to like it was supposed to start there and then turn into a normal fantasy where it's actually liza minnelli and him sitting there um and then uh so really just it was so good that it left me wanting more and because i had to pick worst because of our weirdly self-imposed structure that we made (laughs) uh i had to pick it as my worst but that by no means means it's not great like Mm -hmm. it's fucking fair i agree with everything you just said about it like it's fantastic
2: yeah if i had to pick a worst and again it's not anything bad about it but just him standing in front of I actually really like the scene so I'm just saying it to mention it uh where he's standing in front of a I guess photo of a bunch of faces yeah but you hear laughter in an audio track and it kind of just pulls out and then you realize like he's just standing in front of this yeah picture in in a museum like setting
1: yeah as a fantasy i totally agree i do think that is one of the most effective shots in the movie though mm-hmm. because you start off in rupert's brain where like the cameras right on him you see this fake crowd you hear the laughter and then as it's pulling out like i don't know if you noticed but the audio gets more of an echo on it yes so it's like and it's also it's obviously not a real room in his house. It's more of a it's like it's more of like an abstract idea because like it just keeps pulling out wider and wider and he's in this long hallway and him and the the people keep getting smaller and the voices keep getting echoey and it like for me I'm just like he's trapped in his own head. Mm-hmm. Like like he's never going to escape this like mentality he has, you know right. what I mean? It's pretty good. Um yeah, it's so friggin' fantastic. Um that was my last uh, best worst. Cool. So now, shall we have a little fun and see where these what happens to Rupert when we go beyond the credits? Let's
2: go beyond the credits. Do it.
1: So, for me personally, right off the bat, hundred percent doesn't deserve doesn't need a sequel. I almost said deserve doesn't need like a sequel. Like this <laughs> it doesn't mo- deserve. This movie is fucking great. There's no real like reason to go full on sequels. So, what did you think? Like, what what would what would you speculate happens to Rupert, Jerry, Rita, Sandra? Yeah.
2: Sandra? (laughs) Yeah. Masha. (laughs)
1: Masha. I just found it weird that I said everyone's real name. Yeah.
2: Well, I understand why. So I actually think that Rupert continues his success and kind of becomes... This doesn't necessarily make sense, but becomes like an Andy Kaufman kind of character, whereas like nobody really knows (laughs) how his brain works.
1: Yeah, I could see that.
2: But I also think that... Uh, I have a theory that Masha is still obsessed with Jerry uh-huh. and actually becomes so obsessed with him that she ruins his life and his career somehow. Oh, I believe it. And he just like goes down a dark road.
1: <laughs> That's pretty great.
2: She has the money, she has the resources. Yeah,
1: yeah, I could see it. Yeah, I, I've looked at it as, um, yeah, his Rupert's fame only grows, and it, which in turn, because this is the, before the era of multiple late-night shows, there's only really one. Mm. So, like, remember that scene where he freaks out on Jerry and he's like, I'm gonna work 50 times harder than you and become 50 times more famous than Mm. you. So, like, I actually think, like, he keeps getting famous and Jerry kind of does it, like, kind of loses his fame. But because Jerry's way more of a normal human, (laughs) it actually brings, like, some happiness to his life when he finally can step out of the the spotlight. And I think Rupert, he becomes the most perfect famous person of all time because like as we see the the way they portray it with Jerry is like after all these years he's disillusioned he's sad like fame means nothing to him like all these fake relationships mean nothing but I think because Rupert's normal life was such a d- disillusionment and a fantasy that like it's the perfect thing for him like he never gets sick of being you know talked about being recognized being like he just like thrives on it as opposed to most normal humans who like that takes a toll on you right you know what i mean like there's very few famous people who after like 20 30 years don't go like i could use a little break you know what i mean right so i think i just think like he just like thrives on it and i can see that totally yeah and i don't think i think rita's too rational i don't think they get back together but I do think he ends up dating a slew of Masha-type characters. Huh. So, like, like his own versions of Masha.
2: <laughs> Sorry. No, not you. <laughs> I know. I
1: know. <laughs> like he ends up getting these crazy women who are obsessed with him in every way. But like instead of... And you think he likes that? Yeah, because I think he's like...
2: Mm, Interesting. Like that
1: goes back to the way where he's the perfect person for this lifestyle that usually tears down people with normal brains. I see. His brain's so fucked up that it actually like pops. You know what I mean? So that's how that's what I think happens in his future. And
2: his mom... No, I'm just kidding. I don't
1: know. I know we talked about like how ahead of this time this movie was, but I think it's really just important to hit home, like how smart this was in critiquing celebrity culture in a time before it even turned into as bad as it did. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, now, you know, with the internet and everything, like we know everything about so many celebrities lives and there's, it's so much easier to pry into their lives and like learn things and stalk them and and this and that. So like, I just, I like that this is both like a time capsule of like, like if you were like today you could be that kind of person and never leave your mom's basement but if you wanted to be Rupert Pumpkin in 1982 you had to put in the work like you had to go stand on the sidewalk you had to like put yourself out there like like you know like wait eight hours and all this stuff so I just think the movie was um super ahead of its time and uh and and in retrospect Martin Scorsese even said like I can't, I'm not talking about his whole career, but in terms of me directing him, that was the best Robert De Niro acting that's hmm. I've ever gotten out of him. Like, wow. you know, like, he's, he's, he's never brought it quite like this movie ever again.
2: That's crazy.
1: Um, and I don't even know if this is still happening, and I never heard of this until today when I was doing some research, but in 2015, they announced that they were doing a um, onstage musical version of this movie.
2: I could see this movie being a musical.
1: Yeah, like, they were working on it and this and that, but I haven't seen a single article past 2015 even mentioning that it exists. Hmm. I just saw, like, five different, like, a deadline variety, like, all of them, like, saying, like, they're working on it. Hmm. And now it's five years later, and I haven't heard a peep. Wow! So I don't know if it's happening, not happening. I don't know how long it takes to develop a show. Like, does it take five years? I have no fucking idea. Uh Uh-huh. So um, maybe one day we'll see this on the uh... Maybe. Yeah. Well, all right, everyone. That is all.
2: <laughs> I knew that's where you were going to go. What? You didn't ask if I love it.
1: Oh, fuck.
2: <laughs> the whole point of our show.
0: Wow. It's like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> this movie's awesome. Wow. And that's a wrap. <laughs> all right,
1: Mosh, now that we painstakingly talked about every single part of this movie, I compared it to the Joker for no reason whatsoever, only because I felt like it. And now that that is all over, I only have one final question to ask you, and that is: Do you love what I love?
0: I love it.
2: I need to think about this. Do I love this movie? It's hard to think about love. We've only known each other for such a short time, (laughs) this movie and I.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's the point of the podcast. I know.
2: (laughs) I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was brilliant. Executed really well, and it made me feel so uncomfortable. Like, the fact that it got me to feel as uncomfortable as I did was crazy. Mm -hmm. So I really thought it was great. Maybe I do love this movie. I think I might. That's
1: a question for you.
2: <sighs> I think I do.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can't really point out one thing you didn't like about it, it's hard to say you don't love it. Yeah, like I didn't hear one point where you were like, "Ah, this." Because didn't work, usually right. the
2: way I define a movie is it's something that I would pop in and like just rewatch. Yeah. But I do like I enjoyed it. I would I wouldn't be like I wish I didn't watch that. Yeah. So. I think I do love it.
1: Yeah, I think if you complete, combine that with like not having any real critiques, it's hard <laughs> to say you didn't love a movie. You know what <laughs> I mean?
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. Woo,
1: another success. All right, everybody, that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to interact with the show, please visit our Facebook at Love What I Love or hit us up on Instagram at LWILpodcast. If you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. And if you have the time, please take a moment to rate and review. Every bit of feedback helps. I'm Andy. And I'm Masha. And I hope you love what I love.